0: Hi and welcome to another episode of Focal Point. Today I'm very excited to be joined by Tom Wedgwood, a co-founder of Newton Europe. Tom graduated from Cambridge University with a degree in engineering and began his career in civil engineering before founding Newton with two colleagues in 2001 with an aim of running a consulting firm that delivers measurable results for clients. Tom, welcome and thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you? Well, indeed. And, uh, and thank you, Chet. Thanks for inviting me to this podcast. No Worry. So, if we could perhaps start with an introduction to the firm. So, could you perhaps give us a brief overview of Newton Europe and perhaps of your role as, as a co founder and now as a director?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, what, what we do is we do operational change. So, effectively, what we do is we work with organizations to understand what their most important operational processes are, define the metric that measures that performance and then create a step change with them in that performance Um, and then the final part of the puzzle is to really work with them to develop the systems and structures and process and skills so they've got a deep resilience and they carry on improving them and that could be sort of any operational process it could be anything from procurement logistics um, manufacturing delivery pricing sales anywhere anywhere along that that spectrum you know sex we work in we work in um Private sector. We work in local government. We work in central government. And we work in defence. Ultimately, we're problem solvers. We help people solve their biggest operational problems. My role is really sort of ensuring we have the correct environment to to ensure two things. One is everybody's environment and the everybody's thriving in the business. But also, we're delivering sort of uniquely exceptional work um, with the clients.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And you've picked out a lot of things, perhaps, that that Newton does specifically there. And I think our listeners will have, perhaps, differing levels of understanding of what it is that a consulting firm would actually do. So, in practical terms, perhaps, what are the key differences between Newton and other consulting firms that also claim to be problem solvers, perhaps on the strategy side? Strategy is is sort of
1: hypothesis-led. It's about building a hypothesis, then testing that hypothesis... Um, and leading to recommendations so it's about really recommendations operations is much more data-led so it's about you know collecting the data and the facts um, and getting probably a more granular level of what needs to happen um, and putting a, a, a more granular definition of how you take it forward and that's really where where we sit
0: yeah, absolutely. So do your clients tend to enlist both the strategy consultancy and Newton, or does it tend to be just Newton or does it depend on the project?
1: It sort of depends on the on the project. I mean, one one thing that you see is that all strategy consultants tend to be working going towards the um implementation and operations consultancy, and you know, operations consultancies are moving towards strategy. So in many ways the whole thing's all blending, blending together. It's really whether the the, the client is looking at a support in that real granular bit of delivering the result um, rather than a sort of a, a report and
0: recommendations. Mm, yeah, that's really interesting actually and I think you alluded there to perhaps some consulting firms broadening their range of services and, and some moving towards operations and some moving towards strategy. Is there a clear trend there in which the, the direction that the industry is moving in a whole as a whole do you think there's perhaps an overall shift towards operations or towards strategy or do you just think it's different firms expanding their own service offerings i think it's expanding the offerings and it's probably more
1: as i said more the, the sort of the end-to-end bit rather than people being pure strat houses or pure operations i think it's it's a sort of and it's the right thing really isn't it is that yeah you know, the facts should the facts and the operations should impact your strategy and vice versa so probably you know the one of the big changes in the last few years has been the, sort of the impact of digital and, and data and yeah. so you know, if you look at that yeah you, know, you might have a strategy of going into AI or you know machine learning or you know the cloud or whatever that is, that is that may be your strategy but your the implementation tends to be much more the operations which is you know how do you design that system? How do you build that system? How do you make sure that system that system lands? And at any point along that sort of strategy to actually something landing, there are bits that could go wrong. And often it's sort of towards the end. it's, sort of, it's, a, it's the adoption of those systems. Um, and people are still struggling with making sure that data and technology you know, delivers a promise that it shouldn't be delivered.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. So, do you think that Newton itself, as a firm, in the future could perhaps expand more towards the strategy side as well as dealing with operations? Yeah, I think I think in terms of the operational strategy, I put it in you know, in
1: terms of you know how, how many how many plants we have, where they sh- where they should be, what the, what the business should be doing, what's its pricing methodology. So, the more that decisions are based on fact and data, the better those decisions are. Yeah. Um, so if you can find a way of of effectively boxing up that insight, making real making hugely complex processes simple so you can make some very easy decisions, those decisions will be better. Yeah. So
0: effectively it's about using all of that information to to help make make informed decisions. Great. Yeah, no, that's uh that's really interesting. There are definitely some interesting insights there to the perhaps the future of the, the consulting industry. Uh, I'd like to turn now to to Newton as a firm and perhaps what it's been through over the past few months and years. So, starting with inevitably the pandemic, yeah. what kind of opportunities and, and challenges has Newton faced during the last few months as a result of the pandemic? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think that probably goes that goes for the rest of the country. So,
1: um, I sort of came up with that sort of the old Lenin quote that said, you know, there are decades where nothing happens, and there are a few weeks where decades happen, and yeah and this has been so true of this period. So and it's all happened in phases, isn't it? When Boris made his announcement about the lockdown, I think there was just a sort of a shock that went across the whole country. Um we were in in you know we we're in a bit of disbelief. We were probably pretty naive that we went into 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 it so quickly. And for that first two weeks it was just a case of, you know, how much how much of our client work is going to be is going to survive over the next the next week or two. Now, as it turns out, the nature of the work we do, which is you know, working closely with clients to solve problems, be able to, being very agile and nimble, was actually in, in huge demand. So on the client side, we actually ended up, we didn't lose any work. We actually got a lot more work. You know? So whether it was you know, working at adult social care, you know, suddenly a huge challenge of this bow wave of patients coming through hospital, back out into the community, how you deal with that. So all of our work in that area sort of started to support that the big defense projects, you know, they can't stop because it's a pandemic. You know, it's a, a, you know, security of the realm is is more important than that. So that's got to keep going. So, and then all of the sort of huge amounts of things like, you know, building ventilators, building nightingale hospitals, how you safeguard people. So the amount of challenges there. So on the work side, we actually ended up with far more work than we could do and demand for our work. I think on the internal side, on the effect on the impact of people, and this is something which I think every single business has faced. Yeah, that was a, some massive changes in terms of how do you go from a on-site, you know, in an office environment to working working at home, and that's huge now. And we had half of our people working on-site in really stressed environments, and half, you know, remotely learning how to do that. So that was just a, a huge change that everyone had to um, had to go through.
0: Mm, yeah, no, it definitely sounds like a very interesting time, both client side and internally. And you mentioned there that obviously a lot of Newton's work happens on site and to a certain degree that had to change during lockdown and you know may have to change again. In light of the way that the firm has been operating over the last few months, do you think your views on the importance of on site work have changed or do you think that perhaps the amount of time spent by Newton Consultants on site will change in the future? Interesting, and, one, and, a, and a sort of question that we're, we're, still, we're still grappling
1: with. So it, historically, it's probably worth understanding that we were 100% on site. So every single person worked on site, you know, four and a half days a week. But there's a lot you lose, you know, you lose that that creativity, you lose some of the inspiration you move. And the other thing you lose is you, lo- you lose the ability to really develop people coming through so if you're if you're a graduate I think you can work remotely from your bedroom for a couple of months and that's okay if you do it for a year I think that's a problem because you don't get that face-to-face interaction learning time yeah fundamentally for us it's going to be driven by what's right for the client and how we're going to get the client sort of the maximum impact so we are still going to have a significant amount of time so I'm, I'm guessing if I had to guess I'd say 50% 50% of our internal meetings would be remote and probably somewhere between 10 and 30% of client work would be remote but the majority would be, be be on site.
0: Yeah yeah no definitely I think that would probably be an interesting challenge for consultants as well I imagine. Yeah. And just going back to something that you mentioned when we were talking about challenges and opportunities during the pandemic you mentioned building ventilators was obviously a challenge that newton was involved in so could you tell us a bit more about newton's role in, in ventilator challenge uk yeah sure i mean
1: again this was this was a sort of real crisis point in the in the in the pandemic where you know it was there was suddenly a, a massive need or a, the perceived need for a huge amount of ventilators and, and i think this this was an example of the art of the possible and the, the basic ask was developing a ventilator. So taking a current ventilator, developing a new one, getting it accredited with all of the, you know, sort of the health service, and then getting 12 different organisations, nine new sites, 2,000 people, and ramping it up from, you know, seven or eight a week up to 2,500 a, a week. So it's just an enormous challenge. And when I say sort of the art of the possible, you know, it was only really, really possible because it had really good, strong leadership. It had a team of people who came together and effectively put their badges, they hung their badges up of individual you know, companies and some of them were competitors and they all coalesced around a, a single goal, which is we've got to make these things because people's lives depend on it. And things moved a couple of orders of magnitude faster than I've ever seen before. And at the heart of it was a really fast, problem identification and solution problem system. So yeah, every company needs to have this as part of their central DNA. But this took it to another level. And the best example I've got is I think a Tuesday, sort of fairly early on, the consortium realised that one of their sites, um, one of the assembly sites wasn't actually fit for purpose. And so they needed to find another site. So that happened about midday. Within an hour, the consortium had got together and realised that among their hundreds of other sites that they had in there, you know, between them, none of them were fit for purpose. None of them could do this job. So they, they went out and looked for another business and found another business with another site that could do it. By three o'clock, they'd contacted them and started talking about it. By the next morning, they got sign off from the Cabinet Office, so from central government, saying they could they could bring those people into the consortium. They brought them in by late morning, and by, by lunchtime, they were on-site at that new location, setting out that new site. So, you know, from an initial problem to a new site being signed off by the government and boots on the ground, setting up a new line in 24 hours, is the sort of thing that was happening all of the time. Yeah. And that just, you know, and you start looking at that and across business, all of those processes that they were doing, we just got to learn from because that was, um, it was all inspiring.
0: Yeah, amazing. Amazing. And obviously, there, there are lots of different firms working in that consortium and you mentioned some of those were competitors how challenging was it for newton and, and for other firms sort of involved to go from a situation where you might work alone or work with an individual client to working with a consortium that was trying to pull all of their resources purely from a sort of logistical point of view how difficult was it to, to pull those resources in this situation i think it was very easy and usually it's
1: unbelievably difficult but in this situation it was really easy because of the nature of the burning bridge. You know, this is a national, a national crisis, a national pandemic, and people were just prepared to drop everything and help. Yeah, every cloud has a silver lining, but that was sort of one of the golden moments of the sort of the pandemic was just you know the way that people went above and beyond to, to help out.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, and obviously, you mentioned that there were also a lot of learning opportunities for different members of the consortium just given how quickly things moved and how impressive some of the achievements of that consortium were. So what would you say are the most important lessons that Newton took from that and will perhaps take with it as a firm going forward? I think that
1: singular focus and clarity from top to bottom of what the objective is, having all of those really well aligned. So whether you're somebody on an assembly line, you know, putting a ventilator together or you're Graham at the top of it, making sure that the whole that this huge machine is going in the right direction you're all tied by this single pride and will and desire and passion to get these things working and out of the door Mm. i think that's number one i think number two is the absence of petty politics was unbelievable Um, so if you've got that alignment and you can get a bunch of people coming together with the right skill set and taking ownership for things and getting things done then you move really really fast Um, and yeah that means that you need the humility to ask for help when you do need to help you need the sort of a no blame culture you need you need that sort of mutual respect culture there's lots of sort of the culture of how that that worked was a it was almost a concentrated example of how the world should be and it, was, yeah. and it happened because it needed to happen at that point in time and then in normal time I think it's then understanding how we can pull out that concentrated what good looks like
0: yes yeah no I can imagine that that's sort of the challenge of it is trying to to recreate that sort of urgency I imagine on on different projects. But no, it sounds like a really interesting thing to be involved with. Let's turn to your own career now. We've got a a couple of minutes left. So obviously before you founded Newton, you were working in engineering and then you were sort of transitioned from being an employee to a founder, I suppose, when you took that leap to sort of start the firm. So what was your experience of that transition going from sort of the security of being an employee to being an entrepreneur, being a founder? And how did you manage that transition?
1: In some ways, it was quite. It seemed quite easy. I think I've always been a, a bit of a risk taker, so it didn't. It didn't feel like you know a big, a big dangerous moment. You know, the three of us, we had a sort of golden opportunity where we knew the impact we could have in a short period of time with a business. We had different and very complementary skill sets. Mm. We really got on very very well uh, yeah. together. And we'd worked in consultancy long enough to know that there were some big things wrong with it. And we effectively, you know, whether it's naivety or, um or, or, due to, I don't know, we, we thought we could build something that was better and we were going to build a whole thing about one fundamental principle, which is, yeah, it's all about delivering a result for the client.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. That, no, that sounds, sounds like a, yeah, a big leap, um, but perhaps didn't necessarily feel as much as one at the time. I don't know. And, and sort of going forward from that sort of initial step, how did you then go about winning your first clients?
1: By making a lot of mistakes, by challenge, by taking risks. You know, the school of hard knocks. It was hard. It was fun. It was, you know, it's typical entrepreneur stuff. Our first client, you know, our first new client was a company called DML. What they do is they is they refit the nuclear submarines for the navy mm. um, so the lead the lead for that effectively came from Kevin, who's one of the other founders, Kevin's dad drank in a pub with a bloke who knew an admiral who knew the operations director of you know it was it was that vague so yeah so we, had, we got a meeting with the ops director of d m l and we knew nothing about submarines, you know we were really good at sort of manufacturing, but we knew nothing about submarines, but we went along and we effectively asked him what his biggest problem was. And his biggest problem at the time was nuclear welders. Very small, highly skilled group of people who also happened to be the most unionised bunch of people on the planet. So these guys were so unionised that they would, they would typically go off sick on a Friday and come in on overtime on a Saturday. And nobody could do anything about it. So, so we, we said, OK, we're going to get a 20% improvement in the welds per welder. We're going to increase their, their output by 20%. And he took us on, and right. over the period of two months, we achieved that. We found a way to get a twenty percent increase in the wells per welder. Now, when we sold that, we didn't have a clue how we were going to do it, but we found a way to do it. And then, at the end of that two months, we went on and said, "Right, what, what's your next biggest problem?" And twenty years later, the whole defence industry work has come from that initial piece of work, and now it's thirty percent of our business.
0: Yeah. Wow. So I think
1: I think that's just a sort of the entrepreneurial drive of. Yeah, of, of just making things happen and having that right fire in the belly, which which is important.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. And I guess there'll be lots of LSE students who are listening to this, who sort of are interested in the work that you've done in the past, and would perhaps like to go on and do similar things in the future. So my last question to you would be, if you have to give one piece of advice to those students listening, perhaps who have just graduated or are about to graduate in the future, uh, what would it be? I think the first, piece
1: of advice I give people is don't panic. Don't feel that uh, it's absolutely critical that you've got to land your ideal job straight away. In fact, you know, most people really only find out what they want to do in the sort of their 30s and, and 40s. And there's plenty of time for, you know, two or three careers. And there was are there some high profile people who land and, you know, and succeed by the age of 25. That's not the norm. And so it's not necessarily about the specific thing you end up doing. It's probably understanding there's a set of skills across whatever you do which are absolutely fundamental. And it's things like you know curiosity. It's it's resilience. It's experience of of succeeding and failing. It's you know that's all. Those are all absolutely fundamental to whatever job you're going to going to be doing. Mm. So. I think my advice would be do something that you're really passionate about, understand the sort of the fundamental building blocks of being a successful person, you know, professionally, which would be those things I've just sort of listed out. And the main thing is wherever you are and what you ever end up doing, if you're not
0: developing, it's time to move on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting, and I'm sure that's advice that the LSE students will take on board. I think that was my final question, Tom, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and we'll hope to catch up soon. Real pleasure, yeah.